0: As I mentioned earlier, all of us know that the summer effectively is starting to come towards an end. It's a nice, beautiful day today, but you may have noticed the past few mornings it felt a little bit like autumn was on the air and you knew that things are changing. And It's also true that oftentimes our holiday times are starting to come to a change. This is sort of the last hurrah. You get a nice, long weekend. Uh, but then, of course, then kids are back to school. Traffic gets worse. And you sort of come down and put your nose to the grindstone. It's a time where you've been thinking about what's great and wonderful and pleasurable, and now it's a time where you need energy to get down to work. I mention that because today I'm going to be starting a series over the next few weeks on the prophet Jeremiah. And that's coming up. That's what we heard Jerusha read in the Old Testament today, and that will be in our appointed readings over the next several weeks. And why I mention that analogy with the change from summer into the fall and the change from leisure and pleasure into hard work is that Jeremiah is a book that involves some hard work. Jeremiah, to give you a little bit of perspective, is sometimes uh, known as the weeping prophet. And that gives you a bit of an idea about how tough his book can be at times. Jeremiah writes at a time at the end of Israel's independent existence as a kingdom for about 500 years or so, uh, God had protected Judah, the southern part of Israel, uh, instituted David as the king, and his dynasty ruled over the next several hundred years. But right around Jeremiah's time, uh, the empire of Babylon was growing, and Jeremiah repeatedly was warning the kings and the peoples of Israel to say, you know, what God has required of you has not been followed. Uh, How many times kings have oppressed the poor, they've made war on their neighbors, they have Uh, Done wicked things. They even took up things like idolatry and sometimes human sacrifice. We find again and again that the prophets are are called uh, calling Israel to repentance and they don't listen. And finally, Jeremiah writes and speaks at a time in which he's saying, Frankly, Babylon is growing, and why should God protect you at all when you no longer are an example to the nations, but instead are just as wicked as everyone around you? So Jeremiah speaks to these people challenging words. Why I think it's important for us to look at is because the things that Jeremiah says to Israel and the challenges that he gives to them are, in fact, challenges that I think we need to hear. We also need to look at the ways that Israel really messed things up so that we can go and prevent ourselves from making the same mistakes. So buckle yourself in over the next few weeks because there'll be some challenges, but always remember it happens within the context of the grace and the love of God. Let's look at today's passage and look at that that section from Jeremiah chapter 2 that we have read today. I'd like to suggest that this is, uh, there are three things really to get out of this passage for us today. First is the importance of gratitude. Second is the importance of loyalty. And third is the importance mm-hmm. of right worship. So what do I mean by saying this is a passage that reminds us about the importance of gratitude? Listen to some of the words that Jeremiah uses when he describes uh, God's attitude towards Israel. Chapter 2, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless things and became worthless themselves? They did not say, where's the Lord who brought us in the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that no one passes through, where no one lives. I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and its good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. What is God saying to them through Jeremiah? What he's saying to them is to say, look, don't you remember what I've done? God's saying to them, like, what more do you expect me to do for you? You are a nation of slaves. Do anybody in the world care about slaves? Look around at all the surrounding nations and how they treat their slaves. Do they think that they're human beings worthy of dignity and of freedom? No, they're tools to be used and abused. No one cares, but I cared about you and I rescued you. Do any of the gods of the nations around you care about slaves? No, they're worthless. They care about kings and queens and princes and the important and rich and powerful of this world. But I didn't follow their example. Instead, I reached out to you and I saved you. He goes on to say, I led you through the desert. Who lives in the desert, a place of snakes and scorpions and wild animals where no one survives, but you survived? And where did I bring you? I brought you to the land of milk and honey, a place that's full of abundance and blessing. And I protected you. And how do you repay me? With gratitude. Thank you, O Lord, for the blessings you give to us. He says, nobody even asked, where is the Lord? Not only did you not pay back with gratitude, you didn't even bother asking and seeking me out because you simply did not care who I was. Now that I had done good things for you, you left me by the side of the road this is a huge challenge there to the people of Israel. You are people who received great things from God, but you now are completely ungrateful and indifferent to what God has done for you. And when I think about contemporary life, I think that whether it's in small things or in big things, most of us understand how ugly ingratitude can be. I think sometimes just in small things, in parenting, for example, how challenging it is not to be resentful When you feel that what you do is not being taken into account. Think about how often you stay up at night with little kids or times that they're sick or times they can't sleep or times for the 15th time they need a glass of water. They grow up and and, and you do nice things for them. You spend money on their piano lessons and you throw birthday parties for them. You spend half an hour making a meal and then what do they do? Ew! You haven't even tried this. And yet you don't want to eat it. How easy it is for us as parents to say, my gosh, why should I bother? Nobody seems to care. I tell you one simple thing, pick this up in your room and I might as well talk to the wall. No sense of gratitude. Sadly, that happens, doesn't it? Not just in parenting. Sometimes you really bend over backwards for a friend or a neighbor in a time of need and you do all of these things and it's almost as if nothing happened. How much does that hurt? You didn't do it so that people would be effusive in their praise or pay you, but you should at least think, look, did it make any difference to your life? It didn't. And think here, as God is speaking to the people of Israel, we need to ask serious questions of ourselves about whether he would say the same things to us. We look at the way that God has given to us so much, do we actually take that into account on a regular basis? I mentioned at the beginning of this day about how we started in worship and sometimes I'm a little bit too jokey about it, but the truth is we got here looking at the beauty of the sun. We look at the the wonderful sun set that I saw last night, about the the nice breeze, and we ask ourselves, why is it that it doesn't occur to us to thank God for the fresh air that we breathe for the time that we spent out in the campground with our kids this summertime or even the simple act of enjoying a meal And thinking to ourselves how wonderful it is that we actually can enjoy a meal with our family in peace. How easy is it for us to go through our lives and grumble and complain because we didn't get the thing that we wanted instead of doing as God directs Israel to say, have you forgotten that your very existence depends on my generosity? You walk this earth because God gave you a life. Air comes into your lungs and it breathes back out because God gives you life. The good things you see around in this world are gifts from a savior, a creator who loves us. Here's the first challenge to ask yourself from time to time on a regular basis, what has God given to me? And have I seriously considered giving him the thanks that is due to his name? And I mentioned to you, there's a second thing that I think Jeremiah is really pointing to in Israel. It's not just their lack of gratitude that's troubling. It's also their lack of loyalty. If we uh, look at this passage, I'm not sure why it did it, but the, the, there's something called a lectionary in the church, which means that uh, the powers that be give us the reading, so it's not just something I choose out of a hat. And sometimes the choices they make about where to start a reading doesn't make a lot of sense to me, so don't tell the bishop I complained about it, but <laughs> I want to read just a few verses before where we started today. So we started in, in verse 4, but I'll, I'll start with verse 1, or chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to me, that's coming to Jeremiah, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love is a bride. you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, all who ate of it were held guilty, and disaster came them, says. At one time we were in love, weren't we? Weren't you grateful? Weren't you happy about all the things I did? And what is God saying? I feel not like some dictator and said, you're a criminal who broke the rules. Instead, I feel like a spouse who has been spurned, who loved his spouse dearly and did everything for her. But at the same time, she wanders around with other lovers. Listen a a little bit further about this lack of loyalty. Verse 8, the priest did not say, where's the Lord? people who are charged whose very job is to worship the lord didn't bother asking me anything later on those who handled the law did not know me the rulers transgressed against me the prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit it's not just that you ignored me you went after other gods and worshiped them and not me i accuse you he says has a nation changed its gods even though there are no gods My people have changed their glory for something that does not profit. Not even that you went after something great. He says at the very end, here's one of these really powerful statements Jeremiah gives. He says, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. You have a living spring of water in me that refreshes you. And what did you choose? Some mud puddle that leaks. You have turned away from me, not just a lack of gratitude, but actively searching other lovers when i meant to be your spouse. This is a real challenge to Israel about their lack of loyalty, but I also think it's a challenge for us, because as I look and as I speak about gratitude, I also know there's a challenge sometimes to gratitude. Sometimes we speak about gratitude to God or gratitude to someone, and instead of that being an encouragement to count your blessings, it can be used as a sort of source of shame. Because sometimes, really, it is hard to be grateful. And sometimes, frankly, you're not in a place to be able to feel it. You know, I think I brought back that example of parenting, and I'm sure many of you can relate to me. My parents, in retrospect, were actually pretty great parents. They continue to love me. They continue to be good for me. I'm willing and able to be grateful for what they give to me, but I can tell you when I was 15, I was not in a place where I could do that. All you can think of is they said no to this party I wanted to go to. Uh, they didn't understand that hand-me-downs weren't good enough and I needed to buy something different. They didn't understand that my ambitions were really important or they didn't respect this or they pushed me too hard or they did this or they did this. And sometimes of course as a parent you start shaking your finger and say you should be grateful and then part of you says you know that's right they don't abuse me they feed me I've got many things that people throughout the third world don't but I can tell you it's deeply unconvincing to your heart when a person says you should be grateful because instead of you actually being grateful what are you you just feel guilty for not being grateful and that frankly doesn't improve your relationship with them at all sometimes it is true The things in this world really make us question the goodness of our God. Sometimes the things that happen in this world pull the rug out from underneath us and it feels like we've fallen down on the ground and we've had the stuffing kicked out of us and then to have some preacher stand up and say, hey, you should be grateful, makes you want to punch him in the nose, right? (laughs) And you think about the times where perhaps even if you can recognize and agree, I've got many things to be thankful for, to have a person rub your nose at it and say, don't be sad, don't be grumpy, don't be complaining. frankly, it's not helpful at all, and in fact can be really cruel. Think about that whole episode with Job in the Old Testament, where all his friends supposedly come and tell him, uh, "You know, you should be grateful for what God gives you, and I'm sure whatever these bad things happen, you deserved it. And Job rightly does not find them very comforting at all. And in fact, in the end of Job, despite all of the challenges that job has faced, and frankly when Job complains to God an awful lot. It is not Job that God says you're wrong. It's his friends who are the ones that did things wrong because they did not let Job be complaining. So why do I talk about loyalty? I think about why my perspective has changed on my parents is not that I say now they're perfect or that I didn't have legitimate complaints. It's that by actually acknowledging that on one level, even if I don't feel grateful, I will honor my father and mother after a certain amount of time in a certain amount of space, you get into the head place and, and the, the, the space in your life where you can actually say, you know, I've stepped away from it, and objectively, I can say, I do have a lot to do The point I'm getting to is to say, I don't give up on my parents because I'm not feeling good towards them. I still have uh, myself under their roof. I still obey their rules. I still hold on to who they are as my parents and try to honor them sometimes through gritted teeth because you recognize That where you are in the moment may not speak everything to who they are. And your perspective can be limited. I think that's deeply important to think about God. One of the great challenges we face in our modern world is that we all feel like love is always this emotion in which your soulmate is easy to love all the time. Your parenting, is always a delight because everyone on Facebook who shows pictures of their kids doesn't show them screaming or being angry or being resentful. It's just you out having a picnic and they're all so wonderfully behaved and it's all so great. It's not how it works, right? In fact, what we do, however, when it comes to our spouse, when it comes to our children, when it comes to our friends, even when it comes to our church, when it disappoints us and ultimately when it comes to God, to say, I can't see it right now. I can't feel it right now, but I will be loyal to you and I will trust you and I will walk with you because I believe that at some point I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the I think Jeremiah is saying to Israel, you didn't do that. I know that there were hardships. I know there were challenges, but instead of sticking with me, you abandoned me so quickly for other things and those other things completely failed you. When we think about who our Lord is, we remember as we come every day here into the church that there's a cross hanging on the wall to remind us, not feel guilty for the times that you complain about God, but instead a reminder to say that maybe there's another perspective you're just not able to see at the moment. Stick with the Lord who loves you, and there will come a time when he will show you the light. Sometimes those dark times are times where your faith is tested, but the Lord will praise you for being faithful at times where you didn't feel like being faithful at all. Here's the last thing I mentioned about the importance of worship and the rightness of worship. One of the striking statements that Jeremiah makes here, and it may have struck you as well, because at first it doesn't sound very good. This is what he says in verse five. What wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless things and became worthless themselves. What a tough thing to say. You became worthless, I think one of the things that Jeremiah is pointing out is this, that over time, you become just like the thing that you worship. You think, I know I don't want to sort of paint all paganism with a bad brush. I value Aristotle and Plato, and, and, and I always loved the Iliad and reading Homer uh, and those great uh, characters that he brought about pagan nobility, like Hector. That's one of my favorite characters in the Iliad. And, of course, you read ancient sagas in, in, in uh, you know Norse mythology and different things. And so there's lots that's very good. And so I don't want to sort of say here it's all painted with a brush. But one of the things I knew from reading people like Plato is that oftentimes at least the Greeks recognized there was a real problem with the gods they worship. <laughs> Plato is writing about Socrates and his dialogues. And Socrates is sort of saying, well, how do, we, how do we know what's good? How do we know what's right? How do we find a moral example to live by? And then he looks at the gods that the Greeks worship and thinks, yeah, that's not the greatest example, are they? Do you know you know the story of Cronos? Uh, Cronos is the father of Zeus, but Cronos has a prophecy told to him that one day one of his children will unseat him. So his idea is, well, I'll cut off that problem. And every time one of his children is born, he eats them. Is that an example that we want to follow? Socrates says, eh, maybe not. Or <laughs> Zeus? Zeus overthrows his father. All yay. He's married to Hera, but if you know anything about Zeus's proclivities, he wants to sleep with almost everybody except Hera, because Zeus's uh, 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 way of doing things is that we find again and again and again in Greek mythology, he swoops down and grabs some little boy, he groups down, swoops down and grabs some woman, he's got children and demigods all over the place because he cannot keep it together, or you think about the ways that they're so touchy, you know, Athena gets jealous or something like that and turns somebody into something else. Apollo, you get slightly wrong in the way you do the sacrifice, and he strikes you down with a the plague. These are gods where you look to that. And same thing for ancient Canaanites in which they worship these, and you say, if I worship these gods, will I grow in character and maturity? No. Socrates himself would say no. We think about it as Jeremiah is is attacking Israel and saying, you worship worthless things, you worship idols, you worship gods whose behavior is atrocious. It's no wonder that you are sacrificing your children to these gods. Bloodthirsty gods makes you bloodthirsty people. Now, you may say to yourself, I'm not worshiping Moloch and Baal, and so I'm safe. But I got to say, there's a danger sometimes in the way that we worship God. And the way that churches worship God that actually shape them in ways that are unhelpful and ungodly. One of the prime examples of this is sometimes churches in the more fundamentalist tradition. Think about the way that fundamentalist preaching often comes across. God is demanding. God is judging. God forgives in theory, but in practice often holds things against people that his forgiveness is not a warm embrace, but instead, okay, I'll write off your sins and tolerate you. God is touchy. you will fly off the handle if you get things wrong. And so he is so demanding what happens in those churches. So many times the churches that worship a God like that are churches that resemble a God like that. In which they are highly demanding. In which those demands are so high that nobody can achieve them. And so what do they do? They put on a mask. Everything's fine. I'm not going to complain about anything because God's great. I'm not going to admit that I have struggles with this and this and this because that might get me disfellowshipped and kicked out of this place. And so that is why many times, sadly, we have read these stories about churches in which some pastor that has preached a hard line turns out to have a secret life somewhere. Some mistress. We remember in the 80s all those scandals about the bakers or Jimmy Swaggart or people like that who preach so hard a line and yet they find themselves, in fact, living so far away from what the God they preach actually demands of them. Where's the mercy in that? But also say it's fine to bash fundamentalists. It's always fun. But there's a flip side too. In progressive churches, sometimes with a liberal tradition, it can very easily be the opposite. Who do I worship? A God who is kind of vague. A God who is affirming but never challenging. A God who never really calls us on the carpet for anything and simply says, I love you, but presents no boundaries. And sometimes churches like that, what do you find? You find a bunch of people who never grow because they are never willing to be challenged. My God loves me. Yes, he loves you, but he sometimes loves you with a love that is hard to handle because he loves you enough to make you want to grow. What's our challenge here? We look at God, be very careful. We're not making an idol and crafting God in our own image, but instead we're celebrating and worshiping God for who he is. Look to who Jesus is. If we are tempted to say, oh, Jesus just loves us, and he's a warm and cuddly Jesus who loves just snuggling us in his arms, well, yeah. But he also is a Jesus who tears a strip off of Pharisees, who angers them because he he, he heals somebody on the Sabbath, despite what they tell him to do. A person who gets people so angry at him that they want to kill him. Jesus is willing to say and to speak the truth, even when it hurts because he cares enough about people to say, I want you to grow up. But we also know that the opposite danger is so easy that Jesus is harsh and he's demanding. And we forget that he is the one who goes to tax collectors and says, I will lead at your home. I don't care what other people think. I want to be with you. The one who finds a woman caught in adultery and everybody wants to kill her. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. You're without sin. Go ahead and cast the first stone. Ironically, he's the only one in that crowd without sin, and he doesn't cast the stone. We find Jesus so radical and disarming to people who are burdened and broken because he actually loves them and cares for them and affirms their humanity, even at times where he may criticize their actions. When we worship God, remember to worship God in his fullness by looking at who Jesus actually is and not just who we want him to be, not just who we imagine him to be, but who he says he is and let ourselves be shaped. Because what do we want to be in the end? We don't want to be a caricature of the God we serve. We want to be more and more each day like the God we serve. Someone who has values, someone who has character, but someone who has mercy and grace and love. And that is who Jesus is, the visible image of the invisible God, God's incarnate Son. Don't sell your humanity short by selling Jesus short, but instead let him be who he is and let us worship him for who he is. And that is how we grow into the whole stature of who we're meant to be.